Auburn's strength of schedule, this may shock you, it's ridiculous. Well, Zach, I, I actually just finished crushing some chicken farm, and I am, I am freaking ready to rock and roll. You are Locked On Auburn, your daily podcast on the Auburn Tigers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on into Locked On Auburn, your daily Auburn Tigers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Blackby, and thank you so much for making Locked On Auburn your first listen every single day. And folks, it's Wednesday. You know what that means. It's a War Report Wednesday with Mike G of the War Report. My friend, everyone is talking about tampering and the NIL being the end of college football, but that's not Auburn-related, so we're not talking about that here. We are locked on Auburn here, Mike G. And so I want to talk about Auburn's strength of schedule. I've been doing a series on my personal Twitter and also at AuburnDaily.com. Lance Dahl's been helping me out with some of the articles for it. But a stat of the day every single day, and this is the one from yesterday, from Tuesday. And I want to get your thoughts on it. And this isn't a surprise, but here was the stat of the day yesterday. In 2021, Auburn's strength of schedule was sixth nationally. Their strength of schedule in 2022, first nationally. The top five, Auburn, Mississippi State, Georgia Tech, Vanderbilt, and Tennessee. Those are your top five, but Auburn leads the way. Look, I mean, this is kind of the life of being an Auburn fan right now. And I think their schedule is even a little bit tougher than it normally is because Arkansas is good again. Right, right. Uh, it's it's crazy to think about. There, this sh- hardest schedule in the nation thing kind of rotates amongst SEC West schools. It feels like it's kind of whoever's uh, down at that given year, right? Yeah, and I'll tell you, it shows a very that you know again it, when it comes to preseason polls, there's still a very heavy SEC bias in terms of the strength of the league. The SEC West has gotten tougher. I think it's a reflection on quality uh, uh, coaching hires as well, too. Right. Um, no other single division in college football is more money spent on coaches than the combined salaries of the SEC West. Sure, right. Uh, so our, our coaches are making cake here. It's highly competitive. And then if you look at the whole top 10, eight out of those 10 teams are SEC schools. Right. Eight out of 10. And then just outside the top 10 uh, at 13, you've got Arkansas sitting there. So LSU at nine, South Carolina at eight, Texas A&M at seven, Bama at six, Tennessee at five, Vanderbilt at four, Mississippi State at two, Auburn at one. We all know that those teams are going to cannibalize themselves to some extent. It usually ends with Bama on top and then somebody like a close second day here in the SEC West like Texas A&M. Yeah, or or LSU or or Auburn really has kind of been the the three that have been trailing them right now. So Yeah, and if you look at bowl season, again, look at how many SEC teams made bowl games last year. They didn't all play because some bowl games got canceled because of COVID. Um, But it it was tough. It was, you know, our bowl record was a little rough because we put almost every mediocre team we had. As a matter of fact, I want to say, was it only one SEC team that didn't make a bowl game last year? I think Vandy was the only one. It was just Vandy, I believe. Yeah. Now, A&M didn't play theirs, if I remember correctly. They were one of the ones that that canceled due to COVID. And a lot of Auburn fans may be like, did Auburn play a bowl game? Because I think we all just pushed the uh, the Birmingham Bowl out of our memory, right? 
Yeah, listen, it was it was not uh, it was not a fond memory that I have of yeah. Auburn football. You and I were there covering it in the press box, and it was um, it was interesting to say the least. Yeah, yeah, that that wasn't fun. But so, I think I think we need to kind of equip ourselves with this stat when we talk about what a successful season is as it pertains to Brian Harson and this program in 2022. Now, some people hear that and they're like, oh my gosh, they're making excuses. And that's not what I'm trying to do here. Mm-hmm. You said it yourself. The polls, the, you know, the, the CFP, all of these committees recognize, and I think we saw proof of this a few years ago when Auburn had a chance to win the SEC and they would have been probably the number two team with two losses that they had kind of taken care of business against Georgia with, with those two losses. Auburn can lose three or four games and be a top 15, top 20 team. Right. And I think that's something that most Auburn fans wear with pride. I think some folks kind of want to get out of it, but I think most of them do. And so when you look at the schedule and it's like, all right, you're probably going to lose to your two biggest rivals just because they're on two ridiculous historic runs as far as talent and execution. But all the other games, I think A&M's at home is still a toss-up. I think LSU is a toss-up at home. In fact, I think Auburn actually wins that game. And if you beat Penn State and Arkansas, like all of a sudden it's like, well, you may be eight and four or seven and five, but like you're probably, and you may not be ranked there, but if you take care of business against all of those teams, depending on how you look against Georgia and Alabama, you probably are a top 15 team, whether the number next to your name says that or not. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think that here's what's going to happen with Auburn. Based on last year's, uh, blunders. Uh, nice. We're going. I mean, we're not going to be uh, very highly ranked, if at all, coming into the season. But that's exactly where I think Auburn wants to be this year. Uh, you've got the strength of schedule underscores how important the first five games are. You have them all at home. You got two cupcakes. You got Penn State, and then you close out that five game stretch with Missouri, a beatable Missouri team, and one of the weakest LSU teams we've seen in a very, very long time, coming off one of their most disappointing seasons they've had in a very, very long time. Sure. So uh, all those games, if you're Auburn, should be winnable and will tell you a lot about the trajectory of your season. If Auburn, you know, by some miracle, finishes that stretch five and zero. I don't think you're going to Would that be a miracle, close. Mike G? Do you think that'd be a miracle if they went 5-0? and All that takes I, is beating Penn State, Missouri, and LSU. I shouldn't have worded it that way. All you need to do for that, it's not a simple task, don't get me wrong, but those three games are winnable. Yeah, I, I agree that they're, they're all winnable. I think all, every, every game in the first five at home is winnable. Yeah. Uh, it feels like a miracle right now just because of what we don't know, though. There's a lot of uncertainty, and I think that 4-1 would be but, a very but, but, good but result. There's uncertainty at LSU, right? You just pointed that out. Yeah, And th- th- there's certainly. uncertainty at A&M as well as far as, you know, the, um, I mean, I guess they have a better idea of their quarterback situation, but, like, is Haynes King going to be all, all that he's cracked up to be? I mean, he didn't play football for a year. I mean, there's still questions about that roster as well. For sure. Again, we have a recency bias, though, Zach, that sure. we, cannot, sure. we cannot let go of. And the truth was, we did not close the season very well last year. We just didn't. And you can't, while I am an optimist about what our chances are this year, I'm also a realist in that it could go a lot of ways to start the season. So we've got to figure out what's going on at quarterback uh, and see if we're solid, if we feel good about quarterback after 
week three, I like the prospects closing out that five-game stretch. I really do. If we're on a quarterback carousel going into week three or after week three, then maybe you start to worry a little bit. But I'm not as worried as I would have been in years past because, uh, let's say it's TJ Finley and, you know, TJ plays okay but not well enough. The guy likely coming in to spell him is a guy who's won games in this conference before, which I I really do think it, it could be Zach Calzada. Right. And I feel good about his prospects. If it's not him for some reason, I do. I feel good about Robbie Ashford, too. I think we're in a fairly good spot. It's going to be more about coaching than it is talent this year. I th- they just have to figure out their roster and get through that five-game stretch, and there will be no jump, Zach, hear me, or no jump to move Auburn way up the rankings because because of our schedule, you can always take – the posters can take a wait-and-see approach with Auburn. So, you know, you don't have to put your – you don't have to uh, go out on the limb with Auburn. You're going to find out whether that team's for real or not having to close, you know, play Georgia just after LSU and then close the BEM at the end of the season, okay. throwing Arkansas and Texas A&M. All right, so, so what do those first five games mean? We talked about the importance of going 5-0. and What do those first five games mean for the remainder of the season? I want to jump into that in just a moment. Also, we will have a conversation with Locked on St. Toast, Ross Jackson. A lot of fun stories developing about Smoke Monday signing with the Saints. But first, I want to talk to you about... Built Bar. Built Bar is the protein bar that looks and tastes like a candy bar. Look, summer is crazy, but summer is almost here, and you're going to be on the go. Built Bar is the snack that is best designed for on the go as you're driving your kiddos around or you're traveling to see friends or maybe you're fortunately enough to get a vacation. I don't know what that is, but be sure to check out Built.com to see all the different Built Bars and Built Puffs that are available and you can get them for a little bit cheaper when you go to built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. Had a listener reach out saying, you're selling me on Built Bars. I really want to buy one, but you know I'm, I'm a little intimidated by the price. Well, don't worry about it. Use promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off. That is at built.com. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Mike G, before we jump into what the first five games of Auburn season means in 2022, what's going on at the War Report? You are muted, my friend. <laughs> Lots of off-season action. <laughs> we are. I'm like, did I hit um, a button? Like, did I mess up? What? I don't know what happened there. Uh, we've got a lot of interview. We're doing an interview series right now okay. uh, this summer, so this is our time to be able to uh, connect with former players, current players, while they have time get fans the interviews that they want to see. So uh, we've got a very uh, interesting interview series coming up um, with uh, former players, current players, uh, administrative staff. Uh, We're going to be doing an interview with compliance to talk about NIL. So just a lot of interesting stuff we have going on to the world. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, compliance and NIL and uh, all these conglomerates, the big talking point nationally right now. So we'll see what that happens. All right, so... Mike G, these first five games, it's so interesting because I don't see there being much wiggle room as far as one extreme or the other here. 
it seems like Auburn is going to be either 5-0 and and 4-1. and And Auburn fans are going to be like, holy cow. Maybe we can do this. Maybe we can exceed expectations. Mm-hmm. Or the other side will be, oh my goodness, we're 2-3. and three. We've started two different quarterbacks already. Mm-hmm. This is about to be a terrible football season. And so, to me, it's exciting that we're going to know pretty quickly. We're probably going to know what the upside of this team is in the first month. But also, like, it's horrifying in the fact of if Penn State or Missouri or LSU goes too far south or if two of those three go too far south, all of a sudden, like, what happens? And with the portal, when things are going south and you lose your spot because they're having to try different things, maybe guys leave early and you don't need them to, there's a lot that could go wrong. What are your thoughts on just the importance of these first five games? Uh, I think getting off to a good start is always important. Yeah, sure. So uh, this is a very unique situation we have with five straight home games to start the season. You need to play well. You need to defend your house. And you need to play well in front of your home crowd. And it's going to help whoever we start at quarterback and the rest of the offense as well, build some confidence going into the season in front of their home crowd, going into midseason to play in front of your home crowd, to have the crowd on your side, the energy, um, you know, you don't have the rigors of like travel and all the other things that come with playing on the road. You know, hopefully we have some favorable game times. Uh, so you'll play what well, I'm sure they'll play some early games. They'll play some, some late games. And then, Find out the identity of this football team. If I had any question for Brian Harson right now, it would be, what is the identity of this football team? I feel like we lacked that identity in 2021. Uh, we wanted to be a smash mouth team, but we're unable to execute that because of run blocking. Yeah. So we turned into a wing it and sling it team, and it just didn't, didn't work. work. Didn't work at all right. uh, because one dimensional teams have a very, very hard time in our league unless you do that one dimension exceptionally. So here's here's uh, here was a stat of the day from a few days ago that I did against SEC competition in 2021 last year. Tank Bigsby ran for 600 yards even on 142 attempts. That's a little over four yards a carry. Okay. That's just 75 yards per game in SEC play. That has to go up. Well, there's there's a very simple explanation for that. When yes. you are playing from behind, you got to throw the ball. Yeah. We talked to Brian Harson about that. In the first couple games of last year, we were perfectly balanced. And that's the type of football he wants to play. In the games where it seemed like we had like 15 to 17 more pass plays than we had run plays, right. I asked and I said, hey, coach, can you explain why you guys were so pass heavy? And it was exactly that. After the first quarter, Auburn got behind and they had to start to trying to throw themselves out of a hole. Yeah, but the, but some of some of that though, I, I I'm sure I, I'm there with you. But some of those, like it really just feels like the play calling got a little bit away from. Like they weren't out of Penn State. They weren't in a situation where they needed to just dump the run, uh, especially late, especially late against Penn State. Then especially against uh, South Carolina, they were always in that game as well. And so, like, I don't know, I don't know if I fully buy that. And those are kind of the two biggest games where people were questioning play calling. Maybe you could lump Mississippi State in there, but with the injury of the quarterback, like, I, I'm okay throwing that one out. But I'm with you 
if they were down 14 nothing in every single game, but like that wasn't always it. Right. Well, I I I I disagree, Zach. I think that, okay. that was most of that was most of it. Like when we went back, I went back and looked at the stats after every first quarter after he said that to see if it held water. And he we were we were perfectly balanced in almost every first quarter. And mm. then things started to get away from them and they started throwing the ball. Auburn versus Penn State, we had 39 throws, passes to 40 rushes. But going into the fourth quarter for Penn State, it was 17 to 21. Mm-hmm. Which is what happens when you get behind the chains on first and second down. If you get behind but the chains But let's don't act like down, they were just down and getting blown out and they just had to totally like abandon the, the running game. Like let's, let, let's don't act like that happened here. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree with you because I don't think that Penn State in that game was stopping the run. I don't think they were stopping the run. Right. Uh, so I was a little puzzled that we got away from the run in that game. As the season went on, though, run blocking was waning. No question. It was waning. Right. And in a, an inability to be able to complete downfield passes at a high enough percentage also hurt the run game because teams were regularly loading eight in the box to stop the run. All right. And, and then just, here, here, my, I mean, I thought I, I don't, I wanted to fact check check this before I said it, but like South Carolina, Auburn was up 14, nothing. And then it was tied at halftime. And then going into the fourth quarter, it was 17 to 21. Auburn had a, had a, you know, a slight deficit there. So once again, like the, I, I don't think it was as drastic and, and I, I am cherry picking games here, but those are the two games that pop off as far as like, those were the worst called games. And they had a new quarterback in South Carolina. So like that to me is like, you should run it even more in those situations. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I hear you. I just don't think run blocking was great either. So, you know, if you're run, if you're running it more, but you can't run block, is that better? You know, it just, I just think that there were clear deficiencies on this team last year that hopefully they've improved because I'm telling you, Zach, if run blocking hasn't improved this year, we're going to find ourselves in the same position, right? Right. They have to block better for tank on the ground. Uh, Pass blocking was above average. We were the fourth best, pass blocking team in the league last year so there was enough time for quarterbacks to hit that and that's what i'm saying it's a combination think about that south carolina game and think about the passes downfield that got missed right that made running the ball even harder because if they don't respect it they're and, just gonna and, load and the why box. would they have respected it at that point? right yeah i mean last year bo's best games were those games where teams literally dared us to throw and he connected on those downfield passes he hit him. Arkansas stands out in my mind, man. Once he hit that bomb to Demetrius Robertson, changed it. It was, uh, yeah, it was over for Arkansas after that mm-hmm. because it's like, all right, well, now we have to play this and uh, we got to deal with Tank Bigsby and all these things. You Arkansas know, we, also we, just could not tackle last year, too. Like, and, and that was what was so refreshing about the offense at times last year was in games where they were supposed to perform well from a matchup standpoint, they were able to do it. The the, right. the outlier is Mississippi State. If we hold off that comeback from out from Mississippi State last year, I think perception is totally different. Maybe, right? We'll see. I don't know. Right, Mike. G, I agree. Yeah, go, we got one more thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just saying. I just think it's really gonna it's gonna hinge on quarterback efficiency to help take some. Uh, the pass game has to take some pressure off the run game this year. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna die on that hill, Zach. No, I, we have to, I, I think a lot of Auburn fans would be there with you. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a, I think that's a solid take for sure, for sure. 
One more time, how can people find you here? You support you. Hey, listen, just go on over to the YouTubes, hit subscribe. Again, we have an interview series coming with current Ooh. players, former players, uh, compliance. Like, we've got so much information coming this offseason to help get fans ready for the season. Uh, get, a, get a little nostalgia for some of our, our favorite former players and uh, also understand a little bit about what's happening in this NIL era. Uh, Brian Harson uh, gave some comments in Atlanta at a booster event. Uh, I thought we're telling about how he's embracing NIL and what he thinks it's going to mean for this program. So I'm excited to see the direction that they take there. Good. Awesome. Awesome stuff. All right. In just a moment, we will hear from Ross Jackson about what the Saints think about adding Smoke Monday as an undrafted free agent this past weekend. Some fun storylines there. But first, I got to tell you about our friends at rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's impossible. It's impossible for local chain auto parts stores to stock all the parts you need for your car, truck, or SUV. Why endure the often pointless and seemingly intimidating questioning when they're just going to do the same thing you can do from your phone? They're going to order a part because they don't have that specific part in stock or the brand that you want. Just do it from your phone. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car, truck, or SUV. And also, you're going to save some money as well as time. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car, truck, or SUV. You're right, Locked on Auburn. And there, how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. And joining us now for the next few minutes, Ross Jackson, host of Locked on Saints. Ross, the Saints got one of our boys, Smoke Monday, the guy with the coolest name, and the draft, really good, close to the line of scrimmage. Ton of swag. Saw him wearing a Drew Brees jersey uh, <laughs> earlier today as we record this Monday afternoon. Safe to say he's already embracing that New Orleans flavor down there. Yeah, man. He has absolutely been one of the uh, UDFAs that has made the most news for yeah. the New Orleans Saints. And they've had 17 UDFAs here, but everybody's talking about Smoke Monday. Right. Not only was he wearing the Drew Brees jersey, but he also took the video of him driving past Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta saying, y'all got to see me two times a year. Y'all don't want this smoke. Y'all got to see me two times a year. He's already putting himself on the roster. This guy has endeared himself to New Orleans Saints fans within 48 hours of being on the team. Yeah, and that's who Smoke is. Smoke, uh, I mean, he was very highly respected and voted as a team leader, you know, amongst the defensive backs. And obviously the, the fan base loves him too. So, what are, what's the likelihood of him making this roster, Ross? I think he's one of the three out of 17 that I think have the best chance okay. to make the roster here. And I, I I really do believe that. I'm not just saying that because you have me on the show. Yeah, sure. Uh, right. <laughs> Bunch of Auburn fans listen to you right now. Yeah, all right. No, but it, it's it's facts. Like, I, I looked at Smoke Monday as somebody that should have been drafted in the fourth or fifth round of this year's draft, and I thought he would be a great fit for the New Orleans Saints because there's, there's, there's two specific reasons. Okay. First of all, that sort of head on fire downhill play speed that he has and the just i think he's the hardest hitting player in this in this year's draft cycle Probably true yeah all of that translates so well to the next level in terms of a special teams role okay. and i'm not trying to diminish his play style or anything like that by saying oh he's only a special teamer but it's the easiest way for a guy that's a udfa to make a roster and i think that he has all of the necessary traits and tools to be able to do exactly that for himself and then grow into a larger role a key player to watch 
in terms of competition for him over the course of this offseason is going to be Daniel Sorensen, the veteran that the Saints signed, who is basically a replacement for an older veteran safety that the Saints had last year named Jeff Heath. If the Saints decide to sort of really lean this in terms of special teams, those two guys will be the ones that will be in most immediate uh, competition. And I think Smoke Monday should be able to clear that competition pretty easily and be one of the you know 11 or so DBs that the Saints keep on their active roster because of his special teams acumen. The other piece of it is over the course of the future, his role getting larger is a player like PJ Williams, who is extremely versatile, but is on his fourth straight one year deal. Okay. Eventually PJ ain't taking him deals no more, right? He's yeah. not going to sit around and keep taking one year deals. So if he ends up bouncing at some point after the season, it's smoke Monday and his versatility is somebody that slides in pretty well in terms of a potential future replacement for that multiple piece on the defensive side. So how does New Orleans use these defensive backs that they put in the middle of the field? Like, is there a role <laughs> for Smoke Monday outside of special teams? I think we all agree for any UDFA and for a Smoke Monday type player, I think kickoff coverage is going to be, I think it'll be outstanding with that. Mm -hmm. But as far as getting reps on defense, how does New Orleans typically use those guys? Because we saw the farther Smoke Monday got away from the line of scrimmage, the more uncomfortable he was. Mm -hmm. in general, but especially in pass coverage. Just kind of always seemed lost, never really got super comfortable, um, especially this past year. Maybe a little bit before that when it was more man-on-man -man in Auburn's defense. He was a little mm -hmm. bit better at that. But, I mean, just left guys. I mean, the, the tight end seam killed Auburn all year because Smoke just never really figured that one yep. out. So, they put him close to the line of scrimmage and it was great in run defense. How could New Orleans use him in that way? Well, C.J. Garner-Johnson's in the final year of his contract, and that's C.J.'s role. He plays close okay. to the line of scrimmage. He gets, as uh, our friend Brandon Olson from Locked on Gators would say, he gets Mixie in the middle. And I think that Smoke Monday could absolutely do that same thing. Monday getting Mixie in the middle. I think that I like that's it. exactly where he could be. And so I would look at him as somebody that could potentially back C.J. Garner-Johnson up if C.J. gets a new contract, which I expect the Saints will do everything they can to keep Garner-Johnson in the building. Okay. But if contract negotiations don't go that way, and Smoke Monday is somebody that they feel like can come in and have, you know, the same level of confidence, which is necessary for a defensive back, have the same level of acumen close to the line of scrimmage and the same level of acuity in terms of his ability to be able to make plays at the catch point in the short and intermediate areas. That's where he would be able to impact and that role that's effectively similar to the Florida Gators star role that they would use there. That's basically what they just translated for C.J. Garner-Johnson. Smoke Monday could slide right into a role like that, and I think be pretty comfortable without having to do a lot of the coverage far away from the line of scrimmage business. Ross Jackson, I did not tell you I was going to ask you this, but I think you'll be okay with me asking this. A lot mm -hmm. of Auburn folks listening, Auburn folks love Cody Burns, uh. and he is now coaching the New Orleans wide receivers. How has he been accepted? What are the general thoughts of him making the jump to the NFL level, which I think surprised a lot of Auburn fans. I think the New Orleans Saints have, were really, really smart in going out and getting Cody Burns. I think they identified Cody Burns' talent as a future offensive coordinator, if not more, in this league. And they went out and they got him. And one of the reasons why I think that is because I love the way that he adjusted the roles and the the target share and the target depth for guys like Darius Slayton, for guys like Anthony Schwartz. He changed the way that those guys were utilized in that Auburn offense, as you all know, and then went to Tennessee, did the same thing with guys like uh, Cedric Tillman right. and uh, Velas Jones Jr., who just got drafted this past weekend. And he created a bunch of draftable wide receivers out of guys that didn't necessarily produce 
the years before he was present, particularly that that group of, of volunteers in Tennessee. Here. Right. Yeah. And so I think that they saw that and they looked at development being a big focus for their coaching staff going into post Peyton era. And they looked at Burns as a uh, very, very talented developer a very, very talented evaluator of talent. I think that he's probably a big part of why um, uh, uh, Alante Taylor, the cornerback from Tennessee, ended up as a draft pick for the New Orleans Saints because he watched him go up against his wide receivers every few years. So yeah. as or every, you know, every day. And so I think that you know, the way that they trust him or where they trust him most is going to be in development and evaluation. And I think that when you have guys like Michael Thomas and now Chris Olave, who you're trying to help transition to the NFL, Knowing what Cody Burns has been able to do in the past and elevating receiver play everywhere he's been, uh, partnering him up with Bill Bicknell, who is the guy that you know leapt the production of T. Higgins into the NFL for the for the Bengals, that leapt the production of Tyler Boyd when the Bengals lost AJ Green. He also you know he helped those those receivers become who they became. Now you have these two guys that allow you to not necessarily only focus on the players that you have in the building but your ability to be able to develop the future. Cody Burns was a fantastic, fantastic option for the New Orleans Saints with the direction they wanted to go with their new coaching staff. Yeah, and I love that you said all of that because I, it's good to hear the outside perception of what he did at Auburn because a lot of the Auburn fan base saw him strictly as a recruiter. And he did an outstanding mm. job getting four-star receivers in to come play in a system that did not use wide receivers well. And he still kind right. of found ways. I mean, the joke was all Cody Burns does is teach the wide receivers how to block. And it's like, well, other places want him. And so I was kind of, you know, waving the Cody Burns flag when Brian Harson mm -hmm. came in to replace Gus Malzahn. And he obviously did not keep Cody Burns on staff. And a lot of people are like, why do you want him? Why do you want him? I'm like, well, he's a good, one, he's a good recruiter. But also, yeah. like... I, I think he can be a really, really good position coach. And the fact that the NFL wanted him, I think that says everything that I've been saying for the last several years. So I, I wish him nothing but the best with the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and just to say it too, like the recruiting aspect, that goes to show you the evaluation part that good the point. New Orleans Saints yeah. saw in him. And then the, the, the fact that, oh, all he does is teach wide receivers how to block, but yet he bred drafted wide receivers that shows you the development side of what he does as well, particularly with what you saw over at Tennessee. Ross Jackson, for folks interested in following everything that you do with Saints coverage, if they want to see more or hear more about Smoke Monday or, or Cody Burns' wide receivers, how can, they, uh, how can they check out everything you got going on? Well, I'll tell you, I'm going to be talking a lot about Smoke Monday on Tuesday. See what I did there? That's going to be a lot of fun all season. I'm going to love doing all that. Yeah, it doesn't but get old, by the talking way. about him. Because <laughs> I'm going to be talking about the UDFAs that I think have the chance to make the roster. There are three of 17 Smoke Mondays, absolutely one of those guys. You can check out the Locked on Saints podcast wherever you get your podcast every Monday through Friday and on YouTube as well. And of course, you can follow along on Twitter at Ross Jackson, NOLA, N O N L N O L A. I'm going to get to spelling that right someday. Uh, Zach, looking forward to having you on Locked on Saints here soon to talk more about Ooh. Smoke Monday and Cody Burns as well. So, Let's you know, do it, brother. Come over and check out your guy. Let's do it. Thank you so much to Ross Jackson. Thank you so much to Mike G. Go become a patron of The War Report. Be sure to check out their YouTube channel. They do fantastic work. We'll be back tomorrow to talk all things Auburn recruiting with Sports Illustrated's John Garcia Jr. Thank you so much for making Lockdown Auburn your first listen every single day. For your second listen, go check out my guy Chris Gordy, host of Lockdown SEC. We'll see you tomorrow right here 
on Locked On Auburn. See ya.